0: your ears do not deceive you you've just entered the cryptid creator corner brought to you by your friends at comic book yeti so without further ado let's get on to the interview
1: hello and welcome to another episode of comic book yeti's cryptid creator corner i am one of your hosts jimmy gasparo and i have a very special guest with me today it's part of i i I don't know if this is an interview series i'm calling it but um because as you know i've You've, you've heard me say before, I am an attorney. I like to talk to other attorneys who are into comic books. And I have with me one of uh, the writers of the Ringo-nominated, The Underfoot. Uh, please welcome to the podcast, Emily S. Witten. Emily, how are Hello. you doing today?
0: Hi, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on.
1: No, it is uh, is my pleasure. Um, I think I first saw you when my my brother and I were walking around Baltimore Comic-Con One year, and I picked up a copy of uh, the Underfoot uh, Volume One, The Mighty Deep, and um, really enjoyed it. Uh, And we'll talk all about all about it and 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 what that's about. Um, Which I said it's Ringo nominated. Um, It was a Volume Two was also Ringo nominated, and you you were just telling me that Volume One was also uh, nominated for a Black-eyed Susan Book Award from the Maryland Association of School Librarians. Uh, I mean that's just you know, very exciting. And it's a, it's a really a fantastic, uh, series. I haven't read volume two yet, but I can't wait. (laughs)
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. And yeah, the, uh, the award nominations are a great honor. Um, the Ringo's have been decided. We did not win, but it was great to be nominated for those. It's a very prestigious award in the industry, as you know. And the, uh, as I, as I was mentioning to you, the Maryland black eyed Susan award, um, is decided on by, or nominated by, um, uh, librarians and teachers and those who are members of the Maryland Association of School Librarians. And then uh, my understanding is that then students can vote on the nominees, but they have to have read a certain number of the books to uh, make their vote. So it takes like a whole year for the, or or almost a year for the nomination to become uh, an award. So we don't know uh, how we're doing on that one yet. Maybe we'll win, maybe we'll just be nominated, but it's a great honor to, I, I, I love librarians and teachers, lots of teachers in my family, including my parents, both retired now, who uh, have been teachers. And so it's a very big honor to be nominated by librarians and teachers and students for such an award.
1: Yeah, that's really exciting. And um, I want to talk, you know, I want like, to talk, talk about that first, and then we'll kind of backtrack into, um, I guess, your education and, and how you ended up a, a lawyer. Um, but with The Underfoot, The Mighty Deep, uh, and volume two, which is called into the sun. You, um, co-wrote it with, with Ben Fisher. Mm-hmm. It's artwork by Michelle Nguyen and, uh, Tom Zahler, who I'm, I'm familiar with his work lettered it. So that's a, that's a great creative team.
0: Yeah, we have a beautiful creative team. Uh, Ben and I met, um, actually we had met already, but not realized it. And very briefly we had met through other friends, but we met again, uh prior to writing the book because ben who has written some other comics uh prior to our the underfoot coming out he had written a mini series called splitsville is a three issue comic um illustrated by my other friend kevin stokes who's a great artist does a really good like kind of caricature uh, caricaturish ish art and things like that um in the in the cartoon comics variety you know and uh and kevin asked if i wanted to do a review of that because at the time I was a journalist doing entertainment and comics uh, journalism for ComicMix.com, uh, which I did for about six or seven years, I think it was. Um, and I said, "Yeah, sure." And I read it, and I just thought it was really fun. It, it had fun jokes. It was a clever, uh, you know, concept of mm-hmm. a superhero and a supervillain who were the only superhero and villain in their worlds. But it turned out that uh, they were the same but they didn't know it, but their sidekicks did and they were making money off of it. (laughs) So I, you know, the art was fun because Kevin's great. And, and the the writing was really fun because Ben's great. And I, I reviewed it on, uh, on comic mix. And, uh, then I tweeted about it and I tagged Ben who at the time I didn't realize we had met briefly. Um, and he saw the review and then he found my other Twitter account that at the time I, I had a Twitter account, uh, for my hamster, because um, I love hamsters and I have hamster pets, and I had a, a hamster Twitter account where I would write as my hamster uh, about the adventure she would have while I was off at work. As <laughs> <attorney>. um, <laughs> so I'd be in the office and she'd be like, you know, uh, eating all the peanut butter out of the out of the cabinet, and oh no, the heffalumps are coming! What do I do? I'm really scared. Miss M, can you come home? Because my, <laughs> my hamster, I would say that she called me Miss M, uh, which is why to this day I will sometimes meet people. Uh, who first knew me through that, and they'll be like, Miss M, Miss M, because that's how I would write a uh, hamster. To that's, um, that's great. It was a lot of fun. So Ben started tweeting at me as a hamster. And uh, so these two little ham- hamsters having conversation on Twitter, and then at some point we realized we'd met before, and we started talking more, and we went, this could be a book. This, this is fun. We're having a good time. And that is how we started writing The Underfoot. So. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It was a really good time. Um and then Michelle when uh Ben had worked with her on Grumpy Cat and Pokey and I already knew Tom Zoller and he regularly does has done lettering for years for his own books and also a number of other uh different different books uh through you know and and uh books and web series of comics as well. And so uh that was how kind of how our creative team came together.
1: Oh that's pretty cool. Um it still seems like um I mean, that still seems like a long way to go to like the fully developed and realized world of uh, the underfoot. Um, and and I, I want I want to want you to you know tell folks what what it's all about. One of the things i I want to say that I love is um, there are little clues throughout, especially in the you know the the chapter breaks, like little snippets of. Newspaper articles or like like scientific plans that really like bring so much life into the world of uh, of of the Underfoot and um, what has happened to the giants that that were um.
0: the giants that were yes, <laughs> yes. Are, I mean for the humans in the series so the the premise of the series is that it's about intelligent hamsters who have special skills and are struggling to survive in a world where all the humans have disappeared so it's a post apocalyptic world and uh generally takes place in the dc area which is where i live and um the uh the giants that were are the the now long gone humans and um yeah those interstitial pages are one of my favorite things in the series uh ben and i really like to be able to put more challenging concepts into or little bits of like nerdy back history into those interstitials and still have a story that. You know, is fun and fast-paced in between. So each book is four chapters, and at the beginning or end of each chapter, you get a three-character card page where you get more information on each of these whichever characters we're featuring, including like what their position is and some evaluations of their skills by uh, the matriarch of the or the you know the leader of the hamster group that is the primary one at the time. And then you get a page of science and history, and those are real science and history facts that are in the stories. And then they fold into the sci-fi nature of the you know the chapter by chapter story that's happening. Um, it wasn't necessarily uh, consciously intentional, but the way that we did that means that you can a broad age group can read it because um, you can get like a seven or eight year old who can very much understand the chapters of the story but might not get all of those concepts in the middle, but it doesn't matter because don't need to read all of that to get the story and then you can get like a 15 year old a 20 year old a 90 year old we have some fans where the whole family are fans and it's like a, a, a kid and their parent and their grandparent who's who at the time I met them was 90 years old and wanted to know when the next book was coming out and so yeah. <laughs> each of these groups can enjoy it for various levels and that. Like I said, it might not have been consciously intentional, but that's the kind of stories that we enjoy reading, the ones where you can read them again and you get something different out of them. Um, Anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge fan of Terry Pratchett, Sir Terry Pratchett, who wrote the Discworld series of of novels. And um, one thing I love about his books is you can read them over and over and get, uh, for me anyway, I don't get all of it the very first time I read it because he makes all these little tiny jokes, like sometimes he's using a word where if you say it out loud, you you suddenly are like, oh, it also sounds like, you know, like he's a character whose name is Edward D apostrophe E-A-T-H. And if you read it out loud, you're like, oh, it's Edward death, Edward death, you know, but you Mm -hmm. don't because it's written on the page differently. So like you might get some of those the first time, you might get some of another time. So I like novels and stories with layers of storytelling so that you can get the more complex stuff, but also have like just a fun time. Um, so I, yeah, we have a lot of fun putting those together. Uh, I know both of us are very nerdy about it. I can only speak for myself internally, but like, I'm very nerdy about some of the like science stuff, like weird science and how that can affect our world and like strange history things that I've found just liking to read about that on the internet or in books or whatever it might be. Um, and through that, we've accidentally predicted some things that happened like the coronavirus <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> Not our focus. Um, but <laughs> we did we did postulate that one of the reasons the humans are no longer there was a global airborne pandemic back in 2019 when the Underfoot One right. was published. And of course, we all know what happened in 2020. Um, there was also a point where we postulated that or we we made a plot point out of a certain area of DC potentially flooding, which then later happened for real. Uh, for the first time in like a hundred years, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and then we did in fact uh, the the one of the main villains in book two are paper wasps, and we uh, it hadn't been published yet, but we had written that before the murder hornets became a thing. So oh. uh, we also had a volcanic eruption in there, <laughs> like so. So there was all this stuff that has happened that's that's also written into the books, but that's because if you're a science fiction writer, you're looking at what could happen to cause the state of affairs that you're then writing about, you know? So how does this future come to be that you're writing about? And, and then you look at what could go wrong in or right, but mostly wrong in the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that, and that's kind of how you you know, might, might get some of your ideas. So it's funny that we did in fact, write about these things before they happened, but also it's a, I think it's a fairly, um, intuitive thing as a sci-fi writer, you know?
1: Yeah, and I did look when I when I got to that one, the one the interstitial page where it talks about the airborne virus. I was like, when was this written? I was like, oh, oh it was published in twenty nineteen. You
0: it. Yeah, not, not a lot of people actually like said anything about that in person to me. Although I've mentioned it before, but I'm like, we didn't mean to, but we we wrote about this before it happened. By yeah. a bit, because it was published in April twenty
1: nineteen. Yeah. <laughs> so. Wow. Um, and so I'm curious in terms of how does your and you know Ben's in particular as you know like co-writers or co-creators of that of the story how how does you know that work um, because there's a lot of great paneling um, that uh, Michelle does that are you know like like wordless like silent panels and so I'm just kind of curious and you know you think with um, other co-writers or co-creators that I've talked to before where, you know, one of them might write a page or a two or three pages, and then the other one might pick up the story. I-, I thought that might seem a little bit more, you know, difficult to do with sometimes like wordless panels or, you know, did your collab- collaboration work the same way with this? Or how did you and Ben work with the story?
0: Yeah. So um, you had mentioned it seems like a long way between hamsters talking to each other and getting to the full book. So this is if you if you would like, I can go through kind of the process of how we did it, um, which is that it took seven years of, of de- development in the background of our other work. Both of us are attorneys. So not just me, but Ben also is an attorney. Practicing. Oh, OK. Because um, <laughs> I know that's part of why we're talking about this, too. Is yeah. We're both attorneys on here. And Ben is also an attorney. And in the background of our other lives as attorneys, full-time, you know, employed people in another industry, uh, right. we were developing the series, not just the story, but the series. And so then we finally pitched it when we felt like we were at that point. Um, and uh, and after that, it was about, I want to say, like a year and a half to two years to publication, you know, like like developing mm-hmm. maybe a, a year and a half. Um and uh, and then another couple of years for the next one, uh, and then as i mentioned to you, we're a little behind. You know, the COVID pandemic and all that kind of stuff did, did put us back a little bit. But um, anyway, so we so we worked on it back and forth. There were a lot of ideas that I'm sure fell by the wayside. Um, but the final pitch uh, does resemble what the book is being set up as. But then, of course, as you write, it kind of grows into its own thing. But coming into the first first book and then the second book. We had a layout of the basic idea of the books being formed around these different, uh, not to spoil too much, but to go into the basics, uh, these different groups of hamsters and the different hamsters having different abilities. And so each of them has their own flavor and they, for instance, live in different habitats and things like that um, and have different uh, like uh, body structures to a certain extent and therefore different things they can do. So, we basically once we got to the you know the first of the hamster groups for the um the underfoot the mighty deep which uh you know I have right here um yep. <laughs>
2: so
0: when we when we got to that we basically would plot out uh, each of the four chapters and all of our uh, story arcs that we wanted to have happen. We generally look at approximately four story arcs that are going to go through the book, um, the main plot, and then some secondary tertiary, et cetera, plots that are going to go throughout and weave together to whatever extent makes sense. And, uh, once we would do that, we would then like, you know, we, we pace out how the, the different things might happen throughout the book. And then once we got to a certain point, um, somebody would draft and then we'd send the draft like per chapter. So it wasn't like three pages. It was the chapter. Okay. Uh, we would send back and forth the draft chapter until we get to a point where it was ready for both Michelle to start working on the art while we go to the next chapter and our editor, obviously also to, you know, to work it out and everything. So um, it is a little terrifying when you're writing chapter three and your artist is almost done with chapter two. Cause you're like, Oh, what if we figure out that there's something we need to go back and change. <laughs> but, uh, fortunately, um, and this was my first graphic novel. I'd written a few, like, web comics and commentary web, web comics um, with a different artist, but I hadn't done a full graphic novel before. And uh, Michelle hadn't either, but as I mentioned, she'd done, like, Grumpy Cat and Pokey and some other comics with Ben and other folks. And so she gave us, you know, the or me, the crash course in, like, okay, at the thumbnail version, you can make lots of changes. Then at the pencil version, you can make some changes. Then at the ink version, you know, so so it was a good way for her to get started, but we could still sometimes go back and adjust. Unfortunately it didn't need too much adjustment, but there, you know, there definitely were some things over time that we, uh, that we needed to tweak. Um, But so we would bounce back and forth on the script and then the editor would come back and work on it. And meanwhile, Michelle was working through the the art and then she does the colors as well. So that, you know, it's a big process for her beautiful colors. Um, Oh
1: yeah. I mean, the, the, the interior of the book is, it's gorgeous.
0: Yeah, the art is amazing. Um, I know you said you might use this video at some point. So it's like the art is just gorgeous. And I just I love her work so much. And we're so glad I'm we're fortunate to have her. Um and when when Ben said he knew somebody who who might be a good fit for us, she pitched us three styles of hamster. So like a more realistic, a really cutesy, and a kind of middle ground. And we went with that middle ground because we wanted them to be cute, but also have like and fun and maybe have humor and everything, but also maybe like super serious moments. So we needed a, a range of emotions that the hamsters could, could portray. Right. Um, so you just really hit the nail on the head with that. And I think it works really well with our story. Um, so yeah, but I mean, like by the end of it, then we're going back and making some tweaks. The editor might find uh, you know a, a hole or two. Uh, Andrea Colvin was our main editor on book one and Grace, uh, now Shy Peter, formerly Bornhoff, um was our assistant editor and now our main editor on book two um, and they both were great, have been great, are great you know uh, mm-hmm. opening our book and and doing a wonderful job as editors and we'll we'll find some either plot holes or one of the common ones that we get is like there are too many mysteries going on right now. We need to resolve one or two of these things <laughs> <laughs> we like our mysteries and our and our you know things that are fun going on yeah, uh, but it was really fun, and then by the time we've got the Four chapters done. We've got our interstitial research to a certain extent. We know where that came from, but we haven't written the pages yet. Okay. So then we'll go back and we'll be working on the chapter or the character cards and the interstitial history and science pages so that so that we we already knew we were gonna talk about like, you know, uh bioluminescing mushrooms, glow in the dark mushrooms, but mm-hmm. we hadn't written the the little factoid bit about it yet. So then we work on those. And the, the art for those typically gets done towards the end so far.
1: Cool. Yeah. I, um, I, as, as I was going through it, I, I think early on there was like, there was a, a, a scene where some of the, the hamsters gotten a little bit of trouble and, and one, one hamster, I don't want to give like anything away, but like one hamster came in and I wasn't sure who it was. And I think it was, and then I got to like by chapter two or three, I was thinking like, man, I wish there was just like a little like character code. And I think it was like <laughs> the next, the next like in between part. It was like, Oh look, there is. And I was like, cause I hadn't like flipped through to the back of the book. I'm like, Oh look. And it's like little facts about here's something about Ruby and about Mac and which uh, they're my favorite Mac and Ruby. I, oh, yeah. I think fantastic <laughs> characters. Um, well, thank they're,
0: you. Yeah, they're I, I they're just great. Characters, but Mac and Ruby are definitely a couple of the favorites. Um, I I don't I don't know per se exactly which character was our absolute first, but Ruby was right up there as one of the first characters. Obviously, she's one of our main little protagonists in in the story. But it is a, you know it's an ensemble cast, and yeah. uh, you know I, I know it can be confusing to follow all of those. And I think Michelle does a great job with the distinguishing art, and we try to give them like different colors and markings. But of course, yeah. there are only so many you can do unless like there's one there's one who has a little punk haircut and some pink dye in her little mohawk. Um, but you can't do that to all of the hamsters and we don't right. want it to look too unrealistically, you know, like, they're still natural animals to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I mean, in terms of the main cast, um, and even some of the, even most of the side characters, um, she does a wonderful job And in terms of all the character design. They are very distinct. Like, there was mm-hmm. one that, the scene I'm talking about when they were, like, defending some of the other hamsters, um, the one came in, and I clearly knew it was not any of the the main cast. It wasn't Pap or it wasn't Ives, um, uh, but I just it, it was clearly a distinct hamster, like the look. And I just, but I didn't know the name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, um, and that is something that I mean can happen is with especially with graphic media, is that you can like sort of still follow the story, and then at some point pick up. Oh, that's what that character. Okay, yeah. I yes. think even with non ensemble cast books that can happen to me sometimes when I'm reading. So I totally, I totally get that. And then of course, uh, you're, you're not into book two yet, but towards the end of book one, we do meet, uh, some other hamsters. That's not a huge spoiler since two of the books are out and the second one talks about it in the blurb. So I'm, I'm feel okay with talking about it. But, um, one of my favorite things about the end of book one is that we meet the second group of hamsters and they're the airborne hamsters. And, um, two of the characters are named for a couple of my favorite authors. So Terry for Terry Pratchett and Neil for Neil Gaiman. And (laughs) uh, Neil, of course, the hamster is a teddy bear hamster, which are these fluffy hamsters that have long, unruly hair, which is on brand for Neil Gaiman and his hair. So I, I get a huge kick out of that character's look just because like, and, and, Actually, uh, you know, like he he knew, he knows that there's a, a hamster based on him in the book. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but I get a huge. Regret. That's
1: fantastic.
0: And the Terry hamster has a little white part under its like chin for, for Terry Pratchett had a white beard you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and wore a black hat. So it's like a black hamster with a white beard. Michelle did a great job with the Terry characters design because I had just said, you know, this one's based on Terry Pratchett. Can you do something that looks kind of like like him? And so the, the hamster doesn't wear a hat, but has kind of a little curl to its, like, fur. And it, it's not a hat, but it's kind of a fun little, you know, it's got a thing up here that's kind of a decorative item, and then the white down here, like, the beard. I just love little character details like that. And that was Michelle, based on, you know, just the general, it's, it's based on Terry, and so she did right. that, all that.
1: That's awesome. Um, I mean, in terms of the... The two, those two authors, in terms of Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, which I'm, I'm much more familiar with Neil Gaiman's work than Terry Pratchett's, which I want to talk to you about uh, in a little bit. But I wanted to ask you, um, you know, at least in terms of the the, the first book that comes to, to mind with both of them would be Good Omens. But both of them, Terry probably Terry Pratchett probably more so than Neil Gaiman has a real sense of humor to a lot of his writing. Do oh, you yeah. feel like you have that, like? Influence when you write.
0: Um, I mean, I think we like Ben and I both have a good sense of humor. I think and get along in that sense. I think Mm -hmm. Ben does a great job. um, He's he's really strong on dialogue and humor in our stories. So obviously, both of us go into all the parts of things. But I would say that there's some really good zingers in there that Ben did. It's all him, you know. Okay. Um, And uh, and I do think that like we're both building it and we we like situational humor is a I love situational humor and I love language humor and stuff so that that definitely can go into it um so yeah I think you know I definitely I'm not I'm not Terry Pratchett Ha <laughs> nobody
2: <laughs> else well,
0: could be he was a genius um yeah but uh but I definitely think that one of the reasons I appreciate Terry's work so much is the humor that doesn't take away from it's like I'm not gonna say all our humor is highbrow because it's very much you know both highbrow and lowbrow in the middle of you know like it's a, it's a range of humors but i right. like that his humor was clever and that it goes it it comes from the story or the situation or the language or the you know a lot of the time uh, and sometimes it's a slow build kind of joke and i enjoy those too so I I leave it to readers to decide how funny they think our books are or how much like this or that kind of humor but I definitely love books that are funny and that can still tell a really good story that's not just about the humor, you know.
1: Oh sure. Yeah. I I well I, I found there there were several moments that I laughed out loud
0: oh, like looking
1: back through volume 1. I mean in particular with with Ruby there's a scene where Ruby does something that um she she reveals that she had done some time ago and, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the matriarch tells her, you know, good job. And we're going to have to talk to you about either communicating or speaking <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah, we're was...
0: going <laughs> to we have to talk about your ability to communicate properly or something. Yeah. To yeah. it was very good. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad you, I'm glad you laughed out loud and I'm glad you found humor in our stories because we definitely do aim to include that. Yeah. And that's something that Ben and I really enjoy. And Michelle, obviously, you know, your artist works that in as well. And
1: oh, yeah. There's a lot of visual stuff like. that, you know, yeah, it doesn't work without the, the visual look of things. You know, it's a visual medium. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's the, the whole team working together. All right, fellow cryptids. Now seems like a good time for a break. I'm always looking for a way to display my comics, but unfortunately, I am not very handy or crafty as it were. Luckily, I have come across Crafty Comics and they have a way for you to display your comics, even uh, comic books that are already slabbed, if that's your kind of thing. I recently got a flex frame which has customizable backings and interchangeable border colors. I was able to put in a frame a comic book. It's Batman Elmer Fudd, uh, number one, by Tom King Lee Weeks. It's signed by both. It's one of my uh, favorite signed comics that I got at Baltimore Comic-Con, and I was able to figure it all out. It looks great in the frame, and I can't wait to get it up on the wall. It was super easy. And I have a slew of comic books now, and uh, much to my wife's chagrin, I think I'm going to create a wall of some of my favorite signed comic books. Um, And Crafty Comics was super easy to use, and I like that you can have a different border color along the background to kind of go along with the theme of the cover art. And yeah, it was a, it's great and uh, I absolutely love it. So check it out. It's Crafty Comics, C-R-A-F-T-I-C-O-M-I-C-S dot com. Use the discount code Yeti5 and get five percent off your order. And now, back to the cryptid creator corner. Well, so you know, kind of turning back to um lawyering. Oh, yeah. uh, so what was it that, you know? Kind of steered you towards law school. Was that something you were like interested from you know a, a young age? Did it just kind of I I don't know what a, was it like me where I was like I don't know what I'm going to do now. I'll go to law school. We'll see how that works out. <laughs> <laughs> I was
0: I was going to say how did you end up in law school? So so there's there's the short answer of it is that you
1: yeah I you know, mean
0: what I, am I going to do with my life?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I graduated from St. Joe's in Philly. I worked as a juvenile probation officer for a year. I didn't really like that, uh, and then um, I met someone at a bookstore that I was working at at the time, and he's like, "You know, what you should do, you should go to law school," because he was a lawyer. And I said, "You know what? I'll try that." So I did. I went to quit my job and went to Temple Law you School in Philly. I love not
0: that someone saw in you that you know they thought like someone who was in the field thought that you would be a good contribution to the field. Um, I'm I'm a big supporter of people uh, in the legal industry mentoring other people, and so even suggesting to someone that that they think that it you know could be a good career option when they're looking that someone's looking for something they're they're not sure what to do is great um and and who knows you know they could say that to a couple people and only one of them would actually take the path but if someone sees a skill in you and says hey you know you might really like this and be good at this and and then you go forward with it then they've really contributed to your life even if you just met them in a bookstore yeah that um (laughs) <laughs> it's actually, it's kind of pertinent to something I saw on the internet today, um, which I won't talk about in too much uh, detail, but but we'll go back to it in a minute. But to answer your question, um, I, when I was in high school, I took an AP government class and I found that to be very interesting. And I had previously done the um, National Youth Leadership Forum, the legal one, where you go to DC and you do like you know, mock trial and you you also like get to go and, and meet the Supreme Court justices and do things like that. And it's a really interesting oh, wow.
2: program.
0: Yeah, it was a really cool program. And I went and it was it's all students, you know, high school students. And so I had done the National Youth Leadership Program. And also uh, I found Advanced Placement Government very interesting. And of course, government is not all about lawyers. But there's a whole lot of lawyers in the government. <laughs> And, yeah there are <laughs> uh, yeah, and I found the legal principles aspect of it interesting, and also just um you know, I'm not going to say that i am I'm right about everything in terms of justice or anything, but I feel like I have a strong sense of justice or desire for justice in the world, which is of course not borne out every day, uh often is terribly mis misaligned with what i think should be happening but um but i think that i have a feeling of you know i think this i want to see the right thing happening in terms of equity and fairness and justice not the right thing because i think it's right but the right thing because it's actually fair you know for instance if someone is being discriminated against and i'm not like them but if i was like them i'd be very hurt by or or torn up by or you know um you know, I, I'd, I'd know that that was discrimination it felt unfair to me, then that shouldn't be done because even though it's not affecting me directly, if I was, if the dice was rolled a different way and I was that person instead of me when I was born or whatever the case may be, then I would be subjected to that unfairness. So, you know, obviously things like racism, sexism, classism, et cetera, I'm not for. Um, right. <laughs> and, uh, and I think I've always kind of felt like that. So when I, when I took that AP government class and I thought about, oh, like, you know, there, there are things that the government does to try and, and balance out this. It's not perfect, but it is, you know, really interesting. And then I took that forum and everything. I thought, well, this, this could be something for me to do. Um, and I so when I went to college, I majored in political science because that is one of the basic foundational things they say you should know if you're going to be a lawyer. And a lot of people don't come to it through that avenue. And that's, Totally fine, and they make great contributions and are amazing lawyers who never had political science. So I'm not saying right. you have to do that if you're a young person yeah. considering law school. Um, I, I was I, a psych major. <laughs> yeah, psych is actually like psych English, <laughs> but even people who did art can, you know, end up or or whatever, science or math can totally end up yeah. in a legal profession and be amazing at it. You don't have to do one of those highly recommended ones, but I happen to right. be interested in it anyway, so I took yeah. it because I was interested. But I also uh, was a journalism major and I also was a business management major. So I had three majors in college.
1: Oh, my gosh. And and I didn't I didn't uh,
0: I didn't start out as a business management major that was added into the mix because um, I'm I went to Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana as my alma mater. And it's a great school. I think I went in, uh, doing political science and journalism. And then I know I picked up the business management one a little bit later because IU had a new program that melded business management from the business school, the Kelly school of business with the liberal arts program and some of its professors into kind of a a college of arts and science business amalgam. And I thought it was very interesting. So I was, I think I was in the inaugural class of that, which is still going. It's called the liberal arts and management program. And, uh, so I was really interested in all of those things and I think I was set on the idea of going to law school afterwards um that was my goal going into college but at the same time you know I also had the journalism degree and the business degree in case I decided on something else um and interestingly I have used all of my degrees in various aspects of my professional life um I as I said I you wow. know I've been a journalist for a number of years and then uh while I haven't professionally managed a business ongoing on my own in a money-making enterprise, I did co-found the North American Discworld convention for Sir Terry Pratchett and helped run this big volunteer convention for multiple years, along with working with other conventions like AwesomeCon and DC and different stuff like that. So from a business management and event organization standpoint, I have used all of my degrees in various ways. Um, <laughs> so wow. uh, um. yeah. And I also I almost did a minor in um, computer science, but I didn't go to the end of that. But the reason I was taking that one was because I wanted to take the fifth program in the in the five program series, which was on advanced web design, because I already had done some web design and I wanted to take an official course on it. But they wouldn't let you unless you took all the previous courses, which did frustrate me a little bit. Um, Uh So I didn't end up getting that degree. I got like two thirds of that degree or that minor rather. Um, but I did professionally design
1: websites for a while. <laughs> so Wow. So all right. Uh, so let's, you know, that's
0: crowd.
1: Yeah, I mean, wow. Um, all right. So let's just go back a little bit. So you're in high school, you yeah. you you take the program you did in high school, you you know what you're interested in, you liked AP government, you're going to college and you're thinking, all right, well, I'm going to I'm going to do political science, journalism, you pick up business uh, management administration and um you're thinking law school the the whole time are you involved in like do you have time to do other things in college were you involved like in extracurriculars did your interest in things like comic books and i'll just put it under the umbrella of nerd stuff um did, did that like permeate your your college career did you keep those interests going or it was all of that stuff in terms of all your work with you know what is it comics mix and and other websites and like the Discworld convention come later did you carry all that
2: through
0: yeah well i mean and uh i yeah i worked when i was in journalism i wrote primarily for comic mix but prior to that i wrote for um reels channel now reels.com and i also weekly for mtv Splash page uh as well as a few other little articles sprinkled around here and there um but uh, yeah, no, I grew up reading all kinds of literature. I actually didn't read many comics growing up because I didn't have many comics growing up. My older sister, um, she had some, uh, oh, pardon me, my computer is doing something weird. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> you're back. Uh, my, my older oh, sister, she had some, like, Archie Digests, some, like, you know, Archie Digests and a few, like, Richie Rich, uh, uh, what was it, Lottie Lott's uh, comics, you know, like the little, individual ones plus some digests. And that Mm -hmm. was pretty much it in terms of comics that I recall. I didn't have, and the Sunday funnies. I read all the Sunday funnies and we had, we had like Farside and Garfield and Calvin and Hobbes, like the books collected of, of some of those. So I had collections of comics in the funny papers. And then I had a very few like comics that you would consider coming from one of the companies, Um, but we, I don't remember reading any uh, superhero comics except the ones you would get free in your cereal or something. Um, you know, like the little mini ones. But I, I watched a lot of the cartoons. You know, X Men, Batman animated, um, and many many other ones. She-Ra growing up, Thundercats, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know, I was very into all the cartoons. Um, and then some that were not based in comics, like Animaniacs, but very very funny. So I did you know and Tiny Toons and stuff like that. So I was really into cartoons and uh and i read a lot of fantasy sci-fi genre literature but at the time you know Mm -hmm. it wasn't classified as anything it was in the house and then i also read classic literature my mom is now a retired uh, advanced placement english teacher so she taught both british literature yeah she taught british literature to the regular level students and then advanced placement english literature to the advanced placement students so she had two Uh, different courses she was teaching. So I read tons of British literature and classic novels and uh, more modern novels growing up. Um, Whatever was in the house, I could just go and read it. And I had two older sisters who had a bunch of books. So I grew up reading a lot. Um, And then when I was in college, I found the Discworld books um, in in my college library. Thank you IU Library for the Browsing shelves that had approximately five of Terry's (laughs) over 40 novels. Um, At the time, he didn't quite have that many, but it was still a lot. Uh, So I ended up getting into Discworld, and by the time I caught up with his latest uh, novels, I was in law school. So he had so many novels that I started reading them in college and then got, you know, got done with, caught up to them in in law school. So that's when I started working on the conventions. Um, And honestly, like, Law school is hard. You know that. We all know that. Law school is yeah. can be frustrating. It can be. I love being a lawyer. I think it's really interesting. But sometimes law school can be boring too. It's just so much of one thing. And I don't operate that way. I like to have a variety of interests. So, uh, Discworld kept me sane <laughs> in law school. And uh, I also, and then I also um, got into uh, the Deadpool comics in towards the end of right after the end of law school. Um, And that was when I started reading paper comics in that format as an adult. And of course, when I go into stuff, I go all into stuff. So I have the entire Discworld series. I have all the back issues of Deadpool. Like I I get really into my stuff. Um, Yeah. So I started started writing a blog uh, and and, uh, credit to an ex-boyfriend I had who um, we were talking about Deadpool in the car. And he was like, oh, you should write an entry on that. That would be funny. And I was like, let me try that. And so I did. I was like, yeah, I'll do this for fun. I wrote a blog entry where I was like, pretending people were asking questions and I was answering them as Deadpool. And this was was like, this was Ask
1: Deadpool, right? Yeah. That was called Ask
0: Deadpool. (laughs) And I only ever had to come up with fake questions once. After that, people just started writing in and I never (laughs) ran out of questions. And in fact, eventually got really behind and had to stop doing it because I was now by that point, doing comic mix. And it was just like,
2: <laughs> so yeah. I
0: can handle about two to three careers at a time. And after that, it starts to you know, kind of go crazy. But, um, but yeah, so I mean, while I was in college, I was into Discworld. While I was in law school, I was into that. And then, and then Deadpool. And of course, I was reading and watching all kinds of other things too. You know, I was really into Lost when that was out. You know, Everything that was, there was always something that I was interested in that's in the genre and i find that um you know you can you can really get involved in all kinds of creative media and it doesn't have to be oh i just like comics or i just like sci-fi or i just like any of that but i'm very like i bounce around a lot i will right. i will watch these procedurals until the cows come home and then if you add in the you know uh, fantasy or supernatural element and have a show like supernatural i'll watch that until the cows come home and even mm-hmm. more because it's been more fun because there's ghosts you know and and it's fun stuff so yeah i got into all of that i started writing ask deadpool while i was doing that i was doing the Discworld conventions and through those different people i ended up getting connected with the comic mix people and at that time i think i had already i'd written some of the reels channel i had done some little commentary comics uh with a a guy named mark gultich as my artist and um and we had done some like I'd written articles with these accompanying little commentary comics. Um, like I think one of them was Deadpool does the uh, the the Oscars or whatever it was. Like you know, and different stuff like that. But the very first one was um, a commentary in which Deadpool ends up shooting Green Lantern in the head, oh. and <laughs> and and apparently they had to have an editorial meeting because they weren't sure if it was okay to show, even though it was like a cartoony blood splat. Uh, right, right. Like the very first comic. Ever was uh, had had caused caused editorial comment and creation, and <laughs> but they did run it. It's it, I think it's still out there somewhere. Um, so yeah, I was always kind of doing everything in in the mix. I think yeah. from a very small child, I've been interested in you know the creative world generally. And when I was younger, I wrote. Uh, well, I still write some now, but I wrote uh, poetry. I won a poetry contest once. Um, that was really fun and uh and i i wrote like essays and short fiction and got a like a little award for that one time and <laughs> so i write in all the different um genres and as you know as an attorney legal writing is its own kind of genre you know even though oh yeah and it's, it's miserable not, <laughs> right it's not usually as entertaining to people who aren't lawyers unless you get a judge writing in like a lawsuit about like copyright infringement of a rap song or of yeah. a comic thing, and then you right. get some sometimes they have fun with it, but um it's not usually as entertaining unless you're an attorney. And then sometimes there are some zingers, especially in the footnotes.
2: <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I mean there there have been some decisions that have gone viral, or not just because they've been important, but there have been some like humor, you know, humorous ones every once in a while. Like it'll be oh, yeah. the around online that some judge or some clerk who wrote it for the judge had a a really good time writing writing an opinion. Yeah, I mean legal yeah. writing. I, I'm I'm not a I'm not a fan of of brief writing. Um, I mean Delaware Chancery Court. Y- y- you know, y- it's like you would have with trust and estate litigation that I did. You would have a hearing in front of you know a master or vice chancellor, and then you know after the hearing you'd have to brief it, and then the master would issue their decision, and then you could take exceptions to the ex- to that, and then brief that. And then it would go in front of the full court and then they'd decide. And then if it went to the Supreme court in Delaware, then you'd have to brief it again. And it's like, not a, not a, uh, inexpensive process for, for litigants, but, you know,
0: it, it can cost a lot. And I mean, I fully understand, you know, I mean, as a, as a litigator for the federal government, you know, obviously we're, we're doing briefing and then, you know, there's oppositions and replies and everything flies back and forth until we, But I enjoy it in a different way than I enjoy creative writing. And I, I think I'm one of those people, um, I don't want to test this theory, but I think I'm one of those people who would be really frustrated with only one career, um, particularly if it was only the legal career. I love, like, I think the creative world could sustain me in a, as a primary career if I, you know, was able to sustain my living on it. Uh, which right. maybe I will, um, but I think if I was only a lawyer, well, obviously every time I, throughout my life I have been, you know, in school or working constantly. Started working at 16 in summer jobs and haven't stopped working in some capacity since, you know. Um, but through my college career, my law school career, and my career as a lawyer, I have continued to find second careers or make them or get into them accidentally and. Fall into doing these things and so i i think it's just who i am i guess um -hmm. also it makes me happy it also stresses me out sometimes but it makes me happy yeah
1: (laughs) no i i I mean i get that um you know and sometimes my my wife will say like you're this you you know with like comic book yeti stuff she's like this is supposed to be fun like you do this for fun and i'm like i know it is fun but sometimes it's stressful like yeah it's it is it's just you know it's i
0: I mean i I get it yeah it's absolutely like that and at the same time i remember even back in the day when like i was making little graphics for use on a blog website for funsies i would get like super into it and be like let me make this one no it's not quite right let me do one more pixel over here like back Mm. when i was doing random stuff like that just for kicks definitely not going to go anywhere (laughs) i would just obsess over it so i think i'm just obsessive about stuff like that not in a not in a, you know, you can't get me out of my home, scary kind of way, just in a, I really want this to be the thing that makes it, it it makes me feel happy about it, you know? Right. And so I think that goes into all the things that I do. So it goes into the law stuff and it goes into the writing and it, when we were doing convention organizing, it went into that. And it's like, you know, I just want it to be right. I want it to work. Um, the way I see it in my head. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll get stressed about it, but it, it, when it, is working, it makes me happy. You know, when I, when I've got it to that point, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And
1: you know. I mean, I think it probably, you know, um, to turn it back to the underfoot it, you know, the, the interstitial pages that you talked about, it probably lends itself to that. And I mean, having that type of personality where you like something and you get all into it, I think helps, you know, world building. It's funny. You mentioned like the, when some of the things you were interested in and you, you said lost, cause I was a, uh, oh, I still am. I was a huge fan of Lost when it was on. And I almost mentioned, I almost mentioned it. But that's one of the things like those pages reminded me of like, you know, oh, okay. at the end of every chapter. <laughs> well, because like, I-, I loved that. And like that uh-huh. hit. I mean, Lost premiered what? It, uh, I- I'll I'll be so nerdy. It was September twenty second of two thousand four. Like I don't even need to act like I'm not. uh, Yeah, I was
2: like, yeah, I
0: was was in in law school. school. I
1: I I I could pretend like I don't know, like it's not written on my bones when uh, Lost premiered. But um, like those what those interstitial pages reminded me of, like at the end of an episode of Lost, and then. I'd go on, you know, the fuselage and find out what people are saying. And oh, yeah. yeah, that's
0: yeah.
1: one of the things that the underfoot reminded me of. But yeah,
0: well, I mean, that, I mean, like all that I'm, stuff. I'm glad to hear stuff like that because that, that is the kind of stuff that I've found entertaining and find entertaining. And so, you know, if other people also find it so and then see it in my work that or mine and Ben's and, Michelle, you know, our work, obviously, it's yeah. yeah. amazing. Um, I do have a funny story about that, actually, because... Um although you haven't read book 2 yet, I do. I actually have. Here's book 2. This is my reader copy that's yes. got a little tab in it cuz it's, you know, I'm doing stuff with it. Um nice. but <laughs> there's a um there's a page in it. Oh, it also has it also has a a bookmark that oh gosh, I don't know if you'll be able to see it. It's a bookmark that has a little hamster drawing that was done yeah. by Michelle. She <laughs> mailed me something and this was on the envelope and I went, I'm going to make it into a bookmark. So it's a little oh.
2: <laughs> that's awesome.
0: Cause she drew the little hamster face on it um, that she often signs books with. So um I don't think Michelle knows I ha- I I did I made a bookmark out of her envelope that she mailed me, but <laughs> I was
2: like,
0: that's how pretty I am. I, I was like, oh this is cute. I'm gonna make it into a bookmark. So um when we were doing underfoot two, it turned out we had an extra page in what they call the book map. So you know our editor would map out based on our scripts and everything and the interstitials and the chapter header pages. And the um, ours have also a little piece of sketch art of a hamster at, on the backside of a chapter page that, you know, is Michelle's like a rough sketch of one of the hamster characters and everything. Right. And so we uh, be, in doing that, you know, you have to make sure that if you have a splash page that goes across two pages, that it doesn't go back to front. It has to go across the page, as I'm sure you well know. Um, Mm -hmm. but so in, in order to do that, you know, it has to, all the pages have to fall at the right points so that you're not accidentally splitting your splash page. And so it actually looks impressive across two pages. So when we were doing all of this, either because of that, or because we, um, I think it was because of that, we ended up with an extra page and, uh, Grace said, well, you have an extra page you can do something with. And I went, Ooh, and I said, I'm going to make an org chart. For the fictional government agency that exists in the <laughs> end of it, that is how I'm sorry, the blurring on the thing is a little bit, but there's this org chart here. Right. If I put it right there, maybe it'll, there you go. And so yeah. this chart is um, for the US Department of Preparedness, which is our fictional government agency that created our little hamster friends. And true facts, the first like whole rung of that is just like actual government agency sub-agencies that you would have in federal government. And so the first part of the org chart is extremely accurate to some (laughs) version of one of the cabinet level agencies. Obviously I fictionalized it, you know, for this. Um, And then all of the secondary and and uh tertiary level tertiary levels there are more fictional and are made up of things that I would have liked to see us have when COVID hit. And we did have some of it, but it's like spread across different agencies and stuff. So you know, this was like within the Department of Preparedness. I have things like the Office of Countrywide Continuity Operations, which would be great to have when you're in a global pandemic. And you know, the Office of Medical Information Testing and Treatment, OMIT. And oh. I also like to make fun out <laughs> of them. And yeah. so there's all these, you know, the Office of Family Wellness and Education, the Office of Public Guidance and Administration, and the, the government does have some versions of things that do this spread across different right. agencies or, or you know, in certain agencies like HHS or FEMA or et cetera. But I think that we could do better. <laughs> and so I made this, this org chart of what I would like to see. And of course, down in the corner, you have the projects that created our little animals. So within this, within this, you get to see where they came from in book two. Sorry, that is a little spoiler, but at a certain point, you know, the books have been out for a while. Um, yeah. And so and so I made an entire org chart based on a fictional government agency based on both what would be in the government and what I'd like to see in the government if, if a COVID pandemic happened again right. or something like that and put it into the book because the COVID pandemic had happened and we'd written most of our story, but we still had this page left so that I could play.
2: with. Oh, <laughs> so but I just I, I love that.
1: I love that level of, of detail, though, you know, I mean, that's that's something that I don't know how much time you spend on it. Some readers will probably just like glance over it, but it really does show so much time and effort and care into the world, you know, that that you've created that you well, and Ben and Michelle and Tom have created.
2: I yeah,
0: love Yeah. And even if they just happen to see the part where like notice, oh, there's the part where the creatures came from. Like, that's really the point of the org chart is like to say. Okay, we're confirming that this is, you know, a part of their background because you don't find that all out at the beginning of the story.
2: Right. Um, Right. So that's
0: part of the point is just to kind of put it out into the real book and concretely say this is this is part of what happened to them. But the rest of it was just pure like, what would I want to see? Let's do it. And let's make the (laughs) actions fun. So I've got one that's like on alternative energy. What did I name it? Um, and and then you find out that some of the government uh, officials that you've seen in book one and the interstitials, you see where they are in the department. So um, I'm going to call out my supervisor at my legal job. He is a named character in book one and two. If we get a book, choice. oh nice. Yeah. Um, and so he, <laughs> he is within the Department of Preparedness in these books, and he's in the Alternative Renewable and Innovative Energy Sources Department, otherwise known as ARIES, um, which I thought was fun because you know, mm-hmm. of the acronym that goes with it. So you know I, I, I enjoyed putting additional details about the very few human characters that you see into that. Um, I will also note that all of the human characters in the story, except for one, are real people that I know. Um, ben, ben, ben put one in there that is a fictional character that's in one of his other books, um, The Great Divide. And then all of the other characters in there are just people I know who helped out with the book in some way or, you know, whatever. So I've got my supervisor, my roommate, who's a scientist, my cousin, who's a scientist, you know, I just, and my, my friend who. uh, It's just like, Oh, the name is the same. that kind of stuff so it's very Mm -hmm. in-depth most people will catch it but it's so much fun to put in there and then somebody does catch it it's cool
2: yeah yeah absolutely
1: it'll just add that much more to it um well emily i can't thank you enough for being on here and i know we had some some technical issues so listeners uh bear with us uh, hopefully Byron isn't too mad at me because Byron does the, uh, the, the editing. um. And so many thanks to Byron. Uh, so, cause if you're thank listening you, to this and it sounds, it sounds great, which it always, you know, Byron does the best job he can with um, whenever I have issues. Um, but thank you listeners for, for sticking with us. Cause I was very excited to talk to Emily and really the underfoot Um I can't, I can't wait to get volume two. And uh, I know that you're working on volume three. It's a fantastic series. Um, Thank you. I, I, one, uh, I did want to ask you, though, because Terry Pratchett's work, and I know you were involved, as you mentioned, in the North American Discworld Convention mm-hmm. and talked about that. And I, I've only read a handful of things. And it mm-hmm. just seems like it, it. everything I've read, like I read Good Omens, which was the one with, he worked on with Neil Gaiman. And I've read the we free men and, oh yes uh, uh um whatever this the book whatever the second book is with that same character uh,
2: hat full um, of Sky, probably
1: the hat full of sky yes yeah. um it, but every everything I've read, I've loved the sense of humor, like the the writing in and of itself it it, it seems like something I should be much more familiar with, but i really I, I'd never heard of for whatever reason, like the Discworld series until like much later, um, in life. And so I was curious for someone that is like well-versed in it. If I was going to start somewhere, if I hadn't read anything, do you have one that you tell people, do you think you'd like Terry Pratchett? Here's where to get into Discworld.
0: Yeah. uh, So, I mean, there's no right answer because there's so many good books in the series, but here are my three tips. One, I started with soul music. Uh, because that was the one in the library. It's about like, I think it's like the 19th book in the series or something like that. And okay. so, I, you know, I don't know, your mileage may vary, but it, I liked it enough to get me into the rest of the series. So that's where I started. Okay. Two, I often tell people to maybe consider starting with Guards Guards because it's uh, early on in the series, but it's late. I believe it's number five. Don't quote me on like, you know, the exact numbering because also... Terry wrote groups of books so there's like a group about the city guard, the city watch um but they're not all at once there's like one here one here one here but guards guards is the first of those and it really um started to cement his place as a satirist rather than just straight parody um he started to really develop his characters more uh beyond the parody into you know more unique characters and the world started to become more full. Don't get me wrong. All of his books are fun, but the very early books are more straight parody. And then you get more into the satire and then they become deeper and fold together. And he, you know, I mean, he started writing them when he was very young. And so obviously he developed as a writer and even his early stuff is super impressive. and makes the rest of us feel like, what are we doing with our
2: lives? <laughs> but yeah,
0: so I would say Guards, Guards, I often recommend as a starting point also because Vimes is one of my favorite characters. He's relatively new and less developed in that book and then over the course of the series becomes one of the deepest and most interesting characters in the series but the third thing I'll say is honestly you can go on like let's say Amazon and read some read a a brief description of what the book is and see if that one kind of tickles your fancy because there is like the city watch books are more like police procedurally kind of and then the um the witches books are about storytelling a little bit more. And so, you know, the different books, uh, ser- series within the series, I guess, groups within the series sort of do have different characters and feels to them. So it might be that you might just like read the blurb for one of them and think that sounds like the most fun. Um, there's also one called Small Gods that is outside of the rest of the series in history in terms of it, it takes place long before most of the rest of the series. So okay. while it's very clever send up of organized religion, it doesn't necessarily you don't really have to know any of the other characters to get into that one because and it's and it's far enough along that it's a pretty well, you know, he's d- developed his style and his storytelling. Mm-hmm. By that. So I recommend that one. But of course, you have to be willing to have a good time with the send up of organized religion. If you're going to enjoy that book, some people yeah. might, <laughs> might want to read that. so. <laughs> yeah it, it as as lawyers always know, the answer is it depends
2: yeah it's, <laughs> it's, that, that is so.
1: that is always the answer. all right. well, no, thank you. I wrote those down um yeah,
0: and if you've read the Tiffany Aking series, which is what we free men and Hat full of Sky is Wintersmith is the um the third one in this the third third one in the series, it's my it's one of my favorite Wintersmith and Night watch are my probably my two favorite books in the Discworld series, but Night watch is far enough along that i would recommend reading the other city watch books at least before you get to it winter smith i think you can read it on its own but i would still recommend the the other tiffany aching books but you read those so yeah i've read i've read we free men
2: and yeah is
0: is the you know it the other two are a little more younger reader and then winter smith starts to go into the more adult series part of it not adult in a creepy way just like you know, more yeah, disaster. I know what you mean. <laughs> Just, yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: I, I I understood. I I think our listeners did. Um. Well, thank you very much, a- Emily. This has of been course. uh wonderful, despite any uh technical hiccups. So hopefully. Yeah.
0: Sorry about my internet over there. Thankfully, I have my phone hotspot going for me. But um. But yeah. Sorry. Uh, thank you so much. This has been super fun.
1: Yeah, I had a great time, and um. So uh. Well, thank you. Um. For, you know, coming on and talking about uh, lawyering, talking all about the underfoot. And I really encourage people to read it. Um, If you like, you know, fantasy adventure series, if you like hamsters, it's, you know, it's kind of a mix. It does have kind of like a lost vibe to it. I really (laughs) liked. But, you know, also... um, a bit of a bit of the a-team uh,
2: yeah, as well I,
0: I, would say, I would say when when it came to um aims that i personally had in terms of the story aspects of it i love the cartoon avatar the last airbender and the way that the seasons kind of fold into each other where each has its own feel but then they connect up in various ways so right. that was definitely one of uh, my aims in terms of of this series is to make it feel connected, but also unique in its in the books. Right. And also in terms of world building, I would I would call out Firefly as an excellent uh, deep world building kind of series where you feel like immersed in the story. There are many many inspirations for these books, and of course, you know, growing up, things like Rats of Nim, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But yeah. in the more like things I discovered when I was older as an adult. Uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender cartoon, and Firefly, uh, Serenity and Firefly are a couple of the ones where I wanted our series to feel that deep in the world building and that connected in the storyline. So, couple of goals. Yeah, well, I, I,
1: I think you nailed it. Um, I, I think, think the whole so team did. It's <laughs> a wonderful that. book. Um, thank you. So, thank you, thank you very much. Um, all right, well, everyone, you're gonna thanks for listening. Um. And I'm sure Byron did a great job cutting this together, as I've said. But yeah, go check out The Underfoot, The Mighty Deep, and Volume 2 is Into the Sun. And be on the lookout for uh, Volume 3. And uh, Emily S. Witten, thank you very much for joining me on the Cryptid Creator Corner. And uh, for Comic Book Yeti, I'm Jimmy Gasparro, and I will uh, see you next time. Thank you.
0: Thank you. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner,
1: brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening.
0: If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you
2: get your podcasts.